Oscar Poker. Well, I had skin like leather and the diamond hard look of a cobra. I was born blue and weather, but I burst just like a supernova. Well, I walked like Brando right into the sun, and danced just like a Casanova. Well, with my black jacket and jacket and hair slick sweet, silver star studs on my duds like a Harley and heat. And when I popped down the street, I could hear its heart beat. Back and said, Don't that man look pretty? A cripple on the corner cries nickels for your pity. And gasoline boys downtown, they sure talk gritty. It's so hard to be a Okay, good morning, everybody. This is uh, Jeff and Sasha and Phil, uh, the, the, the original dynamic duo uh, trio. Uh, uh, <laughs> we haven't been together in a long time. It's been Scott Feinberg, it's been Tom O'Neill uh, subbing. We've been at festivals. Now we're back to the usual, usual, and here it is, what, it's late September, and it's uh, from here on in, no more festivals until, at least for me anyway, until uh, Sundance. So this is it. The hardcore Oscar season begins with a nothing weekend that happened this weekend i mean there was movies that nobody cared about nobody went to see so let's start right off with one of the worst dullest most disappointing box office weekends of the year am i right phil yeah i mean it was just kind of well it's it's actually interesting now because we have a tie and this rarely happens but end of watch and house at the end of the street are both estimating 13 million okay um so that's interesting but I mean, the you know the real story here is the trouble with the curve kind of failed to live up to its potential. Right. At least uh, that's my view, and, and I think that's the way a lot of other people are going to interpret this. Um, the estimate now is twelve point seven. I mean, we were thinking it could do you know uh, eighteen and a half. We weren't alone on that. Um, so I mean, it, maybe it's a case of you know this is something that is aimed at you know. 35 and up, 55 and up people, and, and they're just not rushing out opening weekend. Um, so I'm not going to count it out yet, but not a not a great start for this by by any means. It should have been number one. Yeah. Well, um, you know, yeah, right, cause it's a baseball movie and it's Clint Eastwood. But, um, and Justin Timberlake, right? Who's typing? Who's me? Typing? I didn't think it was making any noise at all. I can't hear a thing. I'm sorry. I didn't it mean to do that. Like it sounds like you're top. beating the shit out of your people. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. really, so we're hearing different things. I hear this wind tunnel. You don't hear it. I don't hear a thing when I type, and you're hearing pounding of uh, of sumo wrestlers you know, coming down the stairs. <laughs> yeah. Sort of like the sabotage was as Phil's talking, the typing gets louder and louder and louder. <laughs> right. No, but you have uh, to stop doing that. All right. Okay. So anyway, he uh, he um, Clint Eastwood. What do you think? Do you think it's because twelve point seven is sort of almost thirteen? So it's sort of like they kind of all three made about the same amount of money, right? So yeah, I mean, and, and things could shake out differently tomorrow. I mean, when the, when the actual numbers come in. Um, Look, I mean, I don't think Trouble with the Curve will pull it out to, to finish first. But here's my, my my here's my theory, Phil. Tell me what you have. You, have you, do you think there's any linkage at all between? Uh, I thought that people that had gone to Grand Torino, which everybody knew was another movie about a grumpy old guy, right? 
And this yeah. is another grumpy old guy, clearly the same character with a different yeah. name, except he happened to be a baseball scout this time. However, the, the Gran Torino crowd didn't show up. So why do you think that, that happened? Um, I mean, there's, there's a mix of reasons. I, I, I think a big part of it is the, the lack of people rushing out. I really do. I mean, this is a movie that will, will still hold up well in the weeks to come. Um, I also think there's just a lot of options now for for adult moviegoers, and I think there's kind of a um, you know a saturation. I mean, you have the master, you have arbitrage. Um, you know, people just went to see you know Hope Springs. Um, so you know, I, I think it could partially be that too, where people just went to the movies you know three th- you know three times over the last like month or so, and and this came along and they were like, uh, let's let's just hold off a little bit. Um, so I don't think there's one factor that points to it. You don't um, think the certain... empty... Wait a minute. What about, I'm asking you to make a link between the movie's performance and the empty chair thing at the Republican convention. You think there's no link at all? Not really. I, I really don't. I think, first of all, Clint Eastwood's audience is already conservative. Um, so I don't think he really turned off a lot of his fans. Um, and, yeah, I mean, maybe there's, you know, some, some hardcore Democrats who decided to stay home, but... That's that's not enough to go from you know uh, an expected eighteen million opening to to twelve point seven. Um, there, there's just not enough of that out there. I don't. Well, can I, I under, Can I, you explain to me what the calculus is? Uh, how does it? Um, how do they arrive at that eighteen? Do they take the la- the numbers for his last couple of films and kind of fix factor that in? How do they do that? Well, I mean, that's that was just a general consensus. Everybody predicts in a different way. I mean, we use um, we use Facebook and Twitter. We um, we use historical stuff. So, yeah, I mean, we were basing it, you know, partially on the success of um, you know uh, Gran Torino and Million Dollar Baby. Um, our big comparison to was Moneyball. Um, you know, because Moneyball baseball came out same time of year. You know, that's that's a good comparison, and we thought it was going to open in, in basically the same range as that. Because um, I mean, the signs were there. It was, you know, on, on Twitter it was doing well, and on Facebook it was doing well, at least for this kind of movie. So, yeah, I can't speak for why other people got to eighteen, but that was kind of our, you know, rationale. Um, I think that people were persuaded that there's some that Clint has re- turned gone round the bend in terms of being snappy and sharp and. Uh, lucid and t- all totally together. I think that he conveyed a, an impression of being uh, um, not that organized. It was improv- improvised. It was just. It just didn't feel like the the presence of a guy who was had uh, who had all cylinders, uh, you know, pumping away. I just. I think it had an impression upon people. No, I'm not going to deny that, and and I'm sure there's just no way to quantify it, and I also don't think it's big enough to really, I mean, maybe it costs a movie, you know, $200,000, $300,000 opening weekend or something like that. I don't think it would be anywhere in the range of, you know, four or five million dollars. You know, let me put it that way. Um, You know, I I just don't think it's that big. And I think also, you know, the, the trailers were out. You know, before the, um, the the speech, so I mean, people are already kind of starting to make up their mind. So, oh yeah. man, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there he goes again with the typing. Um, I yeah. just have to submit my three-minute fiction story, which I think I might be too late anyway. On, I forgot to do it, and it's due right now. So, um, I'm just. You guys keep talking. I'm just going to do it really fast while we're sitting here on the phone. Oh, okay. 
Um, I mean, the other thing to talk about, too, is the Master this weekend. Um, that We should definitely sure. go into that territory. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to see it tonight. I know I'm, I'm behind the curve here, but... Um, yeah, it, it expanded this weekend. It went from it jumped from five locations to seven hundred eighty eight, and it the the estimates five million, which is a location average of uh, sixty three hundred. Basically, it's not great. It's not bad. It's kind of I don't know middle of the road. It's not you know it's not overwhelmingly you know this isn't you know um, Descendants or any of those other Oscar contenders that once they go wide they just explode. Um, so take from that what you will. Um, I don't. I don't think this is going to be a huge box office success anyway. Yeah, so. because it doesn't deliver what uh, most people go to a film for. They go to uh, a film for for stories about, in which a character experiences a clear arc of some sort, in which there's that's what a story is based upon. You know, it starts at point A and then he he or she ends up at point B or C, and and there's no real discernible arc here. This is just. You're 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 persuaded as I am after seeing it twice that it's a very well done, extremely well acted film. It, it penetrates, but it does not deliver anybody's idea of a good story. So I think that most people do want stories, and they want a story well told, and they want a story that seems to actually say something or deliver something. And uh, you know, most most third acts uh, involve some sort of uh, catharsis or breakthrough, and it's not really there in this film. So. Okay, wait. Sorry, go back. What are we talking about? The the master. How it, most people go to films expecting a good story, which involves a traditional arc of going from point A to C, and that usually what we mo- mostly want is some kind of catharsis or breakthrough uh, for the main character. Uh, in Act 3, and it does not happen in The Master, and that is going to be <clears throat> probably a reason why people are going to say to each other, well, it's awfully well done, and it's superb uh, cinematography, but it doesn't really uh, right. you know, give you that, that, that feeling that you've got a good story. So. I think you're right. And it doesn't have the same, does it have the same punch as there will be blood at the end? No? Not even close, sir. No big milkshake lines that I... Yeah, okay. Well, then, yeah, I mean... Well, you know, There Will Be Blood did $40.2 domestically. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be surprised if, if Master matched that. I, you know, it and it certainly with, won't top it, so... Doesn't mm-hmm. it have to do with the 70 millimeter and going to see it on that kind of screen? My friend had to drive all the way to another state just to see it. Doesn't that have anything to do with it, or no? No, no. Because, I mean, you know... You're talking about a rarefied, you know, crowd that even really, I mean, look, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people can, if you showed them that, look, this is film print that's been shown 10 times and this is digital, they would, they would know the difference. But I mean, most, you, you, most moviegoers aren't, you know, traveling across state lines or. I would um, personally argue, I don't think that even <clears throat> hardcore cineasts, I don't think sophisticated people could be dependent upon to absolutely be able to spot which was high-end digital, which was 70 millimeter, if you were to show them uh, it on two screens. I don't, I don't think it's that clear. I, it, it's, I'd like to think it is, and I certainly uh, associate, you know, if you give me a choice, I would certainly say that I would certainly prefer to show it in, uh, in 70 millimeter, but I don't think it's that clear a difference. Um, right, Stop right. Conversation. You nobody has opinion, but uh, no, but I do. I, I, my point is that I think that that not that it that it necessarily Clint Eastwood's <clears throat> appearance hurt the box office, but it probably didn't help. It didn't help make people go, "I love Clint. I want to go see that movie." You know, 
Um, that's just my well, opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it. I think it kind of cancels out because you probably have plenty of people who, you know, thought his speech was funny and entertaining or or whatever, or liked him for going there, and then you probably have some people that hated him for doing it, and then those two camps just kind of cancel each other out, and then it's zero sum. I mean, I don't think. Yeah, I think you're right. That sounds a good way to put it, zero sum. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly yeah. right. And Jennifer Lawrence is kind of hot right now, and so that's why she's at the top. And uh, yeah. end of watch, kind of getting good reviews, right? So uh, anyway, moving on to next week. Do we have any? Sorry. Is it really doomsday at the box office right now, Phil? Because, God, this no. week, last week, last week they reported was like the worst it's ever been ever, right? No, it was the, the weekend the, uh, the awards open was one of the worst weekends in like ten years. Um, no, I mean it's it's not doomsday, and and anybody who follows the industry you know closely kind of laughs at you know I get it all the time too. I get reporters coming to me saying, "Oh man, you know we didn't break a record this weekend. Is, are people not going to movies anymore?" And then you know you have something like Hunger Games opens or Avengers opens or Dark Knight Rises opens, and then. Everybody kind of shuts up. It's it's a cyclical thing, and, and the box office can only be as good as the films. Now, you know? Sasha, we're supposed to be in the middle. We are in the middle of the beginning of the Oscar season. Uh, the Labor Day began it with Telluride. I can tell from your remarks you haven't seen End of Watch, right? Right. <laughs> you don't have any excuse it. there. You, you, know, you, you don't see movies for the first two-thirds, or you're very sporadic, but you must see everything starting, uh, you know, yeah, Labor Day. That's really the deal. Is, yes, I agree with you, and I'm, I'm, I've been remiss. I, have, um, I do have sort of an excuse in that I have had a house full of kids. I'm babysitting for my sister who's out of town and blah, blah, not, blah. Not an excuse, not after Labor Day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually have a nine-year-old, so I can't leave her home alone like I can with Emma. So I do have a, I do, I did have an excuse, but nonetheless, I have a lot of screenings lined up. This take it, take it to see and to watch with you. Yeah, I could have, huh? Is it really that good? No, it's not, well, it's not great, no, but it's, it's, you know, it's David Ayer, and it's, it's, it's you know, it's, yeah. it's, I think it's worth seeing. It's definitely one of those films you ought to see. My, you know? I'm, my number one right now, I have two number ones I want to see. Silver Lining Playbook I'm seeing on Tuesday. I really want to see uh, Looper. Looper looks great. Um, that's the one I really want to see. I'm wondering how good it is. You guys have both seen it, or just you, Jeff? No, I haven't seen it. I saw Looper in uh, Toronto, yes. No, no, take it back. I saw it here prior to Toronto. Yeah. Um, That's good, though, right? No. Oh, it's not good? Not in my opinion. I'm sorry, but I said uh, said that I felt that it was um, way too enamored of its own cleverness and its own, uh, uh, you know, unusualness. And... uh, I uh, felt uh, not enthralled by it, uh, but but it's certainly you know it's 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 got a good idea you know. But there's the you should always explore and and tap into the universal. Now, if you were to write talk about writing fiction, Sasha, if you were write a, writing a fictional story about you, Sasha Stone, in when you were 19 years old, and you run into by some circumstance. The, the present day Sasha Stone, 
would you concentrate on just plot mechanisms? And let's say, let's say you guys have to find a package. If you don't find the package, right? right. Or, no, I would not. I, I hear where you're going with that. And no, no I it, it, obviously, you want to know what the older person is going to say to the younger person. What right. the younger person is going to say in response. That's 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 golden material. Right. The movie doesn't touch it. It barely touches it. It's like, are you guys kidding me? You're not going to have one of those like you know. Don't be an asshole. Don't do, you know, I'm telling you, man, don't do this. That could be a great scene. And, oh, and, yeah. and he doesn't even fucking touch it. I was furious at Ryan Johnson for that because he just is a genre guy. And he wants to be just, he doesn't want to be meditative. He doesn't want to dig into the issues of life. No, you know what too I'm bad. What a, that's a missed opportunity there for sure. It is. You know, it's basic. You know, do you remember uh, Demolition Man? That was at one time, that was about a guy who's aging, who's getting older and older. Uh, and by the time Joel Silver and, and Sylvester Stallone were finished with it, I'm talking about the original script, which was uh, a great metaphor how we are trying to get our tasks and, our, and what we feel we have to do in life done before we get too old and we, we're into the rest home. That's a great metaphor, but they didn't even touch it, you know, because Joel Silver said, I don't want to, you know, get, get people bogged down the idea of getting older and everything. He right, wanted to right. just concentrate on the action. Well, that's what Ryan Johnson did, and it's a complete... Well, I know because if there's one thing that every 100% of the population, if they don't die, they age, you know. So, and you're always wondering what what would your what would yourself now tell your younger self? What you know? What letter would you write to your 13 year old self? You know, um, what would you tell that your your young self? What to worry about? What not to worry about? What to look out for? What not? You know, that is golden. In writing, you know, if you see this person, make sure to make a connection because you know this could be the love of your life or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, one other thing, uh, I just want to, Phil, have you seen End of Watch? I haven't yet. I'm I'm behind. I'm really slacking too. I, I'm not holding up to your right. post Labor Day rule either, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> well, listen, End of Watch. You can tell from at least from the trailers that it's a uh, it's it's kind of a, a reality piece with a video uh, mm-hmm. that they wear on their chests and the co- the video inside the cop car. It's all like you know found footage stuff. So you're you're at the very least you're very uh, convinced it's being told to you that you are about to see something that's not going to be um, a, 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 you know a Hollywood. Uh, fantasy movie. It's going to be fairly real. Whatever you see is going to be like caught live on video cameras. It's not going to be. It's going to be one of those things. And uh, it does adhere to that, even though David Ayer doesn't really stick to the. Uh, this is all being shot by the cops in the movie or by the. He, he plays around, but basically it's a it's a reality piece. And at the very very end, there's uh, shootings that happen, and uh, a significant character is on the ground with a sucking chest wound, and. Uh, the uh, uh, there are some more. Bu- I, I, will, I won't give away anything, but more bullets are are sent in his immediate direction. All right, mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about two bullets. I'm not talking about five bullets. I'm talking about eighty-five bullets are sent in his direction. And uh, that this particular character, after all this is uh, sitting there uh, at the end uh, alive and well and walking around and talking. That, that just, that, that's it. I just gave up on that movie at that point because, you know, <laughs> you want to kill somebody, then kill them. If you don't want to kill them, don't have them get shot by 16 bullets and then being okay in a, in a church service, the, you know, the next scene. I'm not going to buy that. Just the same stupid thing that happened with Lawless. Do you remember what happened with, um, with Tom Hardy's character? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I do, yeah. Did you see it, Sasha? Yeah, I saw it in can. Okay, you remember. He takes about six bullets. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. That movie was, it was really hard to buy that movie. <laughs> and the shootout at the end was not good. Yeah. It's like with, uh, um, I don't know what Oliver Stone was doing in Savages, but, you know, he had his characters also, I don't know if they were alive or dead or he just chickened out and wanted a happy ending, but they're really afraid of killing people in movies. So I say, if you're afraid of killing people, don't kill them. Don't have them get shot up so badly that they're probably dead. You know, figure out something else. I understand not wanting to kill somebody. A movie doesn't have to end with the death of a character. Yeah, you know, um, I was just thinking about that. Do you suppose that nowadays, a lot of times that they're filming on digital video, I don't know if these movies were filmed on digital video or film or not. I don't know for sure, but I'm wondering... If you're filming on digital video, do you not spend as much time <clears throat> in the dailies trying to figure out if people will buy a scene or not? You know? Because it's just so easy to move along and to look at it as you go and cut as you go that you don't really take the time to look at the footage and say, yeah, that works, or yeah, that doesn't work, you know? I think it's almost standard, don't you think, that for multiple endings and, you know, you, you come up with options because they all want to change things. They want the movie to be popular. They don't want to put out a movie that is tested badly. So, right? Yeah, yeah I guess so. I guess so. Uh, yeah. Well, there, so there's several different ways we can go with this podcast. We can go to Gold Derby's predictions right now and talk about the um, predictions for Best Picture. We can talk about the screening of Lincoln. We can argue about Lincoln <laughs> if you want. Why don't we go to Gold Derby and then we can touch upon the screening of Lincoln. And Brenda. we can ask Phil if, if he wants to stay on with us or if you want to yeah. pop off. Uh, no, because, I mean, I, I feel like uh, until I see a lot more, I want to stay out of the, the conversation for the Oscar stuff. Um, I don't think I don't think I have much to add to it. I mean, you guys are. This is this is where you guys like you know dart ahead, and I'm kind of just hanging out here. So right. I let's just stick to box office, and I'll and okay. I'll let you guys take it from here. All right. Alrighty, okay. no problem. But but cool. is there anything we need to look out for with box office? Is there anything coming up? And um... well, I mean, Looper will be next weekend. Um, you know, I'm I'm gun shy right now with the, the past couple weekends and how things have been kind of, you know, disappointing. Finding Nemo disappointed, you know, Trouble with the Curve disappointed. So when it comes to Looper, um, you know, I was optimistic before and now I'm kind of second guessing myself. I mean, our, our prediction right now is a $18 million opening weekend. But, you know, who knows? I mean, Joseph Gordon-Levitt isn't a tested star yet and, and Bruce Willis is on the downward slope. So, I mean, we could be having the same kind of conversation we had this week about yeah. trouble with the curve next week but and talking about how that disappointed you know those we'll movies see what do see, yeah exactly because remember that other movie you said that we all thought was going to do well didn't um but uh, the adam sandler movie you know because it seems like this this looper is definitely a movie that appeals to the kind of kids that are going out and buying movies opening weekend aka the target demographic you know it seems like it would do well I mean, if it doesn't... Yeah, I mean, you know so, yeah, we need something to pop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the, the market's definitely ripe for, you know, just something to come along and, and really surprise. Um, so maybe right. that'll be it. Or, you know, I could, I could really see it going either way at this point. So so let me just ask just, you one thing. I, I, I heard somewhere, either on this podcast or what, I'm getting old, so I don't remember things as well as I used to, but there's a gap in 
box office now. Like there's there's two main groups that are spending money, and that's the young guys who go see movies like Looper and The Expendables. And then there are yeah. the seniors, and they're the ones who are going to be buying tickets for all the Oscar movies, you know, right? Well, no, I think that's that generalizes things way too much because I mean, you're you're leaving out families, which are you know oh, that's families, that's very important right. to, to the box office, um, you know. But but yeah, I mean, it's Hollywood kind of is in a, a weird spot now where it doesn't know whether it should you know keep going after teenagers because that used to be a, a gold mine. Um, you know, and I have my theories as to why, you know, that's dried up and, and most of it has to do, I think, with unemployment, um, and teenagers. And a lot of people don't agree with me on that, but, you know, and then you have the, the urge to kind of appeal to adults because when adults are interested in something, they're, they're very reliable. Um, when they want to see a movie, they're going to go see it and, and they're just, they decide for themselves. I mean, if they want to see something, they don't have to go ask their parents for money to see it. Um, right. So, yeah, there's kind of this push and pull now, I think, um, okay. in terms of what's what's going to make money and what won't. Right, right. Because, you know, Netflix, everybody I talk to in the, out in the world, they all watch Netflix. You know, the young people, old pe- not old people so much because they don't know how to use it, but young people are like my hairdresser who's like in her 20s. You know, she's the one I kind of count on to get sort of like the read on what's going on with younger Sure. adults and she's you know she can she's always can be counted on to give me this you know the, the real deal like of course she liked the king's speech better than the social network and you know she's sort of she just has no agenda right so mm-hmm. um she just says that they don't go out they go they watch movies on Netflix. there's so much to see on netflix that they don't feel the need to go out and see stuff and that and that any movie that's playing now will be coming on netflix soon enough well, yeah, I mean that's that's a new challenge. I mean, it's it's tough. This is you know, you you got Hollywood can't be lazy anymore. I mean, they have to really surprise people. They have to really engage them, um, and and I like that. I think it's accountability. I mean, you can't throw the same old crap up on the screen anymore. And, that, and is just what, that is what ninety nine out of a hundred production executives are determined to give you because. To, to go for something engaging, something really get, that gets you in your heart and gets you uh, in some way that you haven't been gotten before requires originality and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and creative verve. And they are they, they're scared shitless of that. They do not want... I love this, <clears throat> this term that, that uh, David Denby used in his piece in The New Republic. Did you happen to read that? I didn't read it. I saw it on your site. I didn't. I didn't. Couldn't. I couldn't muster the energy to read it because I feel like I've been writing about that same stuff for like five years, and it's just they're finally catching up with it now. You know, it's annoying. So I didn't read it, but I will. I should read it, I guess. Well, it's the same um, uh, thing that you know, Pauline Kael was lamenting back in the early '80s when she wrote her piece about how Hollywood is all about the numbers and everything. But the the phrase that he used, which is that movie studios do not want to make movies that are, and I totally love this, execution dependent. <laughs> they don't good. want them to be, they, they, they don't want to invest in movies that have to be good to be successful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that well, is, and I mean, that that is what's, no. what's really happening now, and, and this is kind of unsettling to me because I don't, I don't like it, and, and this is the direction we're heading in. Um, the, the studios are just going to want to, they'd, they'd rather spend, you know, $250 million, $250 million on production, $125 million selling the thing in order to make a billion than they would on, you know, 
thirty million uh, production, ten million marketing, and, and you get this like really good, smart adult thing that's nuanced and everything like that. They're moving away from that, and what's happening is that kind of stuff is going to HBO right, um, right. And, and Showtime and, and, and Netflix and everything like that. That's kind of, I think that's the trend. That's where things are inevitably going to be headed because it costs. It just costs too much to to sell a movie for theatrical release, and I, I don't think they're getting. The kind of returns they want, or they just think, well, shit, we, you know, we cranked out Transformers three. Um, you know, it, it costs a lot of money to make, market, everything, and we made a billion dollars on it. If we're going to spend our time doing something, let's do that. Um, that's that's where we're headed for. These, these people are the devil. They're really, if you care about movies, if you care about the church of movies, you know, you care about the Catholic Church. You don't want to let the, you know, the calculating soulless demonic forces to be messing with the, the purity of it, the, the beauty of it, if you will. These people are awful. I mean, they're really bad news. And, and we're just kind of sitting there and going, ah, ha, ha, ha. well, that's, that's Hollywood, you know. It's not Hollywood. It's not, I mean, it's not funny, you know. It's bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, uh, the, the movies are going to suffer, uh, you know, because of that mentality. And we're, we're going to see less of the kind of, you know, um, truly worthwhile Oscar type movies in, in, in theaters 10 years from now, I think. Um, really? That's, think that's so? what we're headed for. Yep. Doesn't so. it seem more like that, that those kind of movies are going to last and the movies that aren't going to last are the really top-heavy ones, like, for instance, oh, I don't know, Inception. Avengers. Or, yeah, well, the Avengers made so much money, though. I mean... Listen, do you have any genuinely excited, fond memories of that film? Now that all the geek crap has calmed down, you know? There really isn't a lot in that movie, you know? You know that there isn't. There's nothing to hold on to. There's nothing that sticks to your ribs. It's it's just, you know, it's an enjoyable geek movie. Right. But it, it was a good time at the movies. That's that's about the best you can say about not it. Not my idea of a good time. I mean, it was it was it was it was like uh, oppressive. It was uh, it, it once he got into the destruction of Midtown Manhattan thing, it was not interesting. It was just overwhelming, you know? Yeah. So are we going to talk about Tom O'Neill and his thing? Yeah, you guys can. You we can will, do but that we have to say goodbye to Phil. All and I always have okay. separation anxiety, Phil, when you have to go. <laughs> no, I mean, deep into the season, I think I can talk. But, I mean, I haven't seen Silver Linings. I haven't seen Master yet. It's like, I just feel. Yeah. It just doesn't feel like well, I you're gonna, it. Phil. You're gonna stick to your thing about only waiting until it opens, right? You're gonna do that. Policy. I, yeah, I mean that gets worse during Oscar season because I want to see these movies and right. Right. everybody loves them, but I'm worried that I'm gonna, you know, fall in love with something like The Master and then it's gonna just, you know, I'm just gonna become. Uh, I can't predict it right, and I, I'm just gonna think that oh, this is gonna hold on really well and blah blah blah. And like right. same thing with something like Silver Linings or Life of Pi or any of these things. I'm just right. so worried that right. that that's gonna happen because you know this is my favorite time of the year. This is sure. when all the great stuff comes out, and and I right. can't do that. It sucks. So right. Right. I hate you both. <laughs> well, I'm right with you there, Phil. I've only seen maybe a yeah. couple more. I'm a monk. This is, you know, Jeff always talks about being, you know, the the Catholic, and this is my mm. this is my, you know, vow of celibacy here. Yeah. Um, we'll so. be seeing movies pretty soon, right? That's all going to come pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, some I make some exceptions. Like I'm going to go see him more because oh. that that's screening soon for for New York people and. Um, they're yeah, having a press conference to... for that here, interestingly. They're going to yeah. have a press conference at the Beverly Wilshire in the afternoon with a luncheon and Michael oh. Panicky doing a either a live or a video thing with a translator. And they're really going to go all out, which tells me 
Uh, if they're going to push that hard for more, that means are they going to push as hard for? Don't they have something else? Sony Classics. Uh, now, I'm, now I'm blanking, but they have. Uh, uh, they certainly bone. have the uh, Rust and Bone. Rust and Bone, and they certainly have the uh, the uh, documentary uh, West of Memphis, which they bought. I hope that they oh, put as much effort. Oh, okay. Um, so just really quickly, Phil, something to think about for next time. Um, the uh, the date change with the Oscars, they pushed it back pretty quickly, and everybody's saying, like, oh, it's the end of movies, it's bad for movies, they're not going to have time. But what it really does is it, it solidifies more this trend of the box office doesn't really matter when it comes to Best Picture winners because the race is pretty much decided a lot of times before movies even open to the public. So it's more like the Oscar race itself fuels the films that get released, you know, as opposed to a film that does really well at the box office getting rewarded by with Oscars. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I mean, Hurt Locker changed things. There's, you know, the, the way to look at the relationship between grosses and, and the Oscars, um, it's, you know, pre-Hurt Locker, post-Hurt Locker. I mean, up until Hurt Locker, it was rare to see something that wasn't financially successful win. Um, and, and now I think it's it's much more of a possibility. Mm. Um, absolutely. So. Interesting. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, thanks again, guys. And All I'll right. uh, I'll be back next week. Great. Nice talking to you, Phil. All right. Thanks. Keep the faith, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. All right. Bye. Okay, bye. All right. Are you there? Yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying to save my friends David and Seth uh, from uh, what I'm calling a rolling Venice disaster. Uh-oh. They, they, you know, I tried to put them in touch with my friends Lucia and Roberto in Venice with that apartment I stayed in, and they didn't have one night, so they were like they couldn't get the full booking. I tell you, when you go to Venice, when you go to other places, you have to like get as best you can. And then figure it out when you get there. You know, things always change when you get to an exotic city. What you can find online, what seems like the right thing to do, everything opens up when you're actually there. So if you just go there, get a good place for two out of the three nights, and then figure it out for the third night. It always works out. Yeah, uh, she's out there on work, isn't she, Svetlana? Yes, she was doing a commercial in Assisi, the beautiful city of Assisi. Wow. Or no, not a commercial, a documentary. And so they, the filmmakers aren't putting her up with housing? No, they're fine with Sissy. It's the after part. They're going to drive up to um, to, a, to some lake nearby. Then they're going to go to uh, Volpea in Tuscany, which I've told them to go to. And then they're going to Venice for three days, and they can't find the right place. Ah, oh, I see. Oh, well, <clears throat> I hope they find something. Me too. It would be. They have this horrible uh, Best Western deal near the train station right now. That's the best they could find. So you guys are killing yourself, you know. You're going to be really, you know, these are these are important things. You shouldn't say it at Best Western ever if you can avoid it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> wow, they sure are the jet setters, those two. Yeah. And then they're going to go to Croatia, where Svetlana grew up. And then they're going to come back to Rome, and they have this whole thing that they're doing. So. Oh, wow. It's incredible. How yeah. nice. So, what, so uh, let's go talk about Tom's thing. Tom, uh, uh and, and Pete was telling me, and I agree with him, it's, you know, it's absurd to, to like, spitball these things because nobody knows anything. Right. But, uh, but, but Tom did have this, uh, uh, he asked everybody to kind of say, well, what do you think? What do you think about, about Best Picture? And um, Should we go to his site and look at and see what, let's go there now, goldderby.com. 
Well, I just remember that he came up with a, um, let me see, where is it? I, I ran it here. He came up with Best Picture uh, titles that, that now he didn't come up with them. We did. We collectively uh, all voted. And we feel that the, the top eight are, in this order, uh, Silver Linings Playbook, Lincoln, Les Miserables, Argo, The Master, Zero Dark Thirty, Beasts of the Southern Wild, and Life of Pi. Uh, so that's oh, eight. I forget the other two, but that's, list. you know. Interesting. I didn't think Life of Pi was on that top eight. I'm just, I just did a screen capture and, and posted it as it was when. Yeah. This is before I voted, but um, I, I think it's probably one of the, you know, I mean, it Let's looks like. That, it I mean, be. what you got to do is go through your list and cross out everything that people have not seen yet. And then yeah. look at the, the titles. And that's really better a better way to gauge Best Picture because, in my experience, which is basically 13 years of doing this, um, right. it never fails to be true. Right. Generally speaking, most of the movies that – last year was a little different because a lot of the movies people thought were going to be Best Picture nominees turned out to be, like, extremely loud and warhorse. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. So it's possible that the expectations and the publicity teams and all of that can get these movies nominated if they work hard enough. You know? Right. So, so let's just look at reality here then. The Silver Linings playbook has been seen. Silver You're going to see Silver Linings is uh, for sure. That's yeah. for sure. Mark There's no there. question that's going to be in it. Now, but we have to face the Lincoln thing. Now, I, I think that it's definitely uh, 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 incomplete and, and uh, I don't know. If I were Lou uh, Lumelec, who ran this piece in the New York Post uh, two days ago, then he took it down, then it came up again yesterday morning, uh, I would have found, somehow found, to at least two other people right. who attended that and then rounded out at least a little bit. Now, we don't know. I have how, heard from a couple of people that two of them said they liked the movie. Okay, great. So, uh, but it's hard to say because when the Warhorse stuff came out, it was all ecstatic early on, you know. So you just never know what what. Te- That's why I didn't think he should post it because test screenings are not. They don't tell you anything. They tell you maybe what the movie's going to do at the box office, but they don't tell you what it's going to do in the Oscar race because the Oscar race is not decided by the rabble. It's decided by a, a certain group of of people in Hollywood yeah, that, that yeah. don't. You know, that they don't follow the same rules. It's Steven Spielberg, for instance, you know. I got to tell you, I I can remember very, very clearly when they started those, that kind of rolling thunder review of of War Horse screenings in the hinterland. They had them in Pennsylvania and Indiana and Kentucky and you, you name it. And you're right, the, the responses from people who were uh, who had attended that were, were quite over the moon. They weren't just, uh, you know, good movie, liked it, but this is outstanding. I'm levitating. I'm, exactly. That's you know. what was so strange about it. So in a way, it helps Lincoln to, to have lowered expectations. That's actually a good move. Um, if somebody was a really sophisticated Oscar strategist, they would do this, set this up just so that they could lower expectations. You know, that would really that's not That's actually good thinking, what you yeah. just said. Yeah. So that it's smart. If I was running an Oscar campaign, that's what I would do. I would try to keep expectations as low as possible instead of what they did last year with War Horse where they were too high. So yeah. um, the only couple of things when I look here at this gold derby list that jump out at me, and one is, first of all, I think Les Mis trailer looks amazing and it's you know it looks like if it if the movie is as good as the trailer that's your best picture winner (laughs) but um because of the um it doesn't sound like um 
like show tunes recorded in a studio and it sounds like it's more integrated. Yeah. That's what they're trying to tell us all, that and this his, is not a typical yeah. musical, right? And Tom Hooper's pared-down style, I think, will work in this case really well. And it looks to me, from what I can tell, that all actors are working at their very, very best so far. It looks like Anne Hathaway and Hugh Jackman and, and Amanda Seyfried are all at a level 10. So, you know, we'll have to see how it all comes out, but that's what it looks like to me right now. The uh-huh. perplexing thing about these lists is that Ann Thompson and Dave Carger both have listed and sided with, especially Ann Thompson, who's really, really going to bat for the sessions. Uh-huh. She has... She has this. Um, she has it in pl- place of Beasts of the Southern Wild, which she does not have predicted. And same with um, Dave Carger. Neither of them are predicting beasts, and they're predicting the sessions instead, which are both Fox Searchlight movies. So it's like they're saying, if it's going to be either or, it's going to be the sessions and not beasts. Of the- I completely disagree with them, but I haven't seen the sessions, and once I do, I'll be a little more clear on that. But I, I would say that the sessions reaches people in in our realm, which is to say, middle class, uh, uh, college educated, uh, uh, you know, sensitive people interested in in the arts realm. Um, uh, and you have to be. Um, it, it, it touches. It speaks to you directly. Directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas uh, the exotic wonderment of um, *Beasts of the Southern Wild* is more of a, a major art piece and a statement and a, and a kind of a fantasia all on its own. It's, it, it's on a different level. I think a higher level myself. I think so too, and I also think it's a it's a number yeah. one choice if 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 ever there was yeah. one, and that's what right. gets in the Oscar race. I have right. a feeling. Just my instincts, and I could be totally wrong on this, but the session yeah. seems to be more performance-driven. That's um, right. That people will say, wow, those two were so good in it. But I'm not, you know, best picture is almost always driven by the director. Almost always. And so- well, it's not, it's not going to happen because uh, it's, uh, I, I assure you, you'll, you'll absolutely agree with me 110%. It is, and, and even our friend Pete Hammond, um, uh, who tends to be very uh, kind and generous in his assessments, uh, he even says it's just not. Uh, I think that was him. Wait a minute. Was yeah, it? no, he doesn't have it predicted here. Because uh, it's not cinematic. It is a straight, uh, medium shot interiors, one after another, one after another, one after another. Here's it doesn't thing. feel like there's anything going on of a yeah. of a novel or you know impassioned thing on the right. director's part. You know? And I, I I get it that it's Fox Searchlight, but I have a feeling they're going to be pushing the more passionate visionary work of Beasts of the Southern Wild rather yeah. than um, the sessions, but, which I think is uh, odd. Cons- Dave Carger and Ann Thompson were once a, were the two who held on to the King's speech, remember, when everybody else jumped ship. So in mm-hmm. that way, it's interesting to me that they're that they're doing it this way. That it's a performance it. thing absolutely for John Hawks, and, and I think definitely for Helen. I love them both, and I thought this is pretty good stuff. I mean, this is... Uh, this is this is nomination material, no question. I didn't feel that the film was exceptional enough the way it was made. Nice story, a touching story, sad story, moving story, but not a, a, a great piece of filmmaking, as Beasts of the Southern Wild unquestionably is. Okay, so here's the interest, another interesting thing. Oh, let me just tell you, off the, not off the record, yeah. on the record, but an anonymous source who must right. remain anonymous, but I will just say that this person is... Um, yeah, Ann Thompson is not predicting *Beasts of the Southern Wild*. That blows my mind. She has it, it, she's hearing uh, like what, like you know, Pete Hammond and, and Tom. They did a little uh, uh, audio thing, and Pete said, 
you know, talking to people you know, that he does in the academy, he says that he's not, uh, he wouldn't bet the farm on Beast uh, making it as a best picture. But he's got it predicted, though. Then he's of two minds. Yeah. Because he did, he did say that. Right. I, I, I have a really good instinct on that. I'll be really shocked if it turns out not to be true. I just going by the reactions of people at, at um, the festivals. But we'll see. It's yeah. a long race. It's been around, kicking around a while, you know. Um. Anyway, my source, anonymous source, is a very reliable person. Right. Not a Yahoo, not a, you know, quote-unquote right. civilian. It's, he's actually somebody who right. is deep into Oscar stuff. Uh-huh. So, but has said that, the, that flight is a lot better than people are thinking it's going to be and that Denzel Washington kills in the role. And this is not a publicist, by the way. I hear you. I hear Just you. So you know, it's, I, I'm um, hearing that, that this is Denzel's uh, leading Las Vegas. Wouldn't didn't somebody say that about a month ago? Sorry, uh, go ahead. I don't mean that he's playing a suicidal character, but he is a. Uh, it is about alcohol, and it is a um, powerful performance. I've I've been hearing all along that it's uh, it's in that realm, and it's something you certainly are going to remember for for his acting. So. Right. So that's interesting, right? That's something yeah. that I didn't really see coming was that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to see that movie a lot, Flight. Definitely. And that will be right after they're going to have a screening here, right after the New York Film Festival screening. And I believe that they're going to have – there might even be one of those things where they have uh, – the, the film, and then they have the talent, and, uh, and, and you know, we got a you know a little thing afterwards, something like that. Yeah. So. At any rate, going back to this idea of, of yeah. these movies that we haven't seen being nominated, yeah. it, there's the chances of all of them getting in are so slim, like that it <laughs> that it will be all of Django Unchained, Zero Dark Thirty, um, Les Miserables, Lincoln, mm-hmm. Life of Pi. I mean, these, mm-hmm. are, these are all the movies people are predicting to get in, and the chances are slim, given the amount of time we have left, and The Hobbit, lest we forget. So it's always better and more of a reliable way to do Best Picture to look at what we know as opposed to what we don't know, you know? And um, it's probably going to be three-quarters of what we know and one-quarter of what we don't know, unless it's a really fluke year, and it just turns out that all the movies we haven't seen are the better movies. Well, listen, uh, taking, putting aside the negative associations that you have brought, and I don't feel good about this either, <clears throat> about the Guido of, of, uh, of, of uh, Jersey Shore saying that <laughs> uh, Lincoln is a boring, claustrophobic film about one interior after the other, underlit, about you know men, politicians, no. talking about the Emancipation Proclamation. Right. you got to hear the, con- uh, the subtext of that. The subtext right. to me was... Not a movie for 30-something child men who uh-huh. are looking for, you know, big, dramatic sleeps. What, you, what I heard when I heard right. that was, wow, right. that's interesting for a Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. It's not sappy. He didn't say sappy. He didn't say overly sentimental. He didn't say tearjerker. He didn't say any of those things that you would associate with <clears throat> as uh, Richard. Well, wait a minute, though, but it is sentimental by, by virtue of John Williams' music. They listen to that music, the and you music, know exactly Yeah, but, but that's not what this guy said. Guido didn't say that. He said it, was, it sounded like it was cerebral, and it was a right. real look at, at policy. And that sounds like a different kind of Spielberg movie, and that had me intrigued. It didn't right. sound like it was your, your, exactly what you would expect the movie to be. So that was interesting, and I'm, now I'm cu- much more curious. I was curious anyway, but... Being a Lincoln fan, I'm I'm more curious now to see it than I would have been because who needs to see another movie about 
the Civil War, you know, and about um, the, the abuse of, of slaves and slavery. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen it. We, they did it in Roots. Roots can never be topped. Remember Roots from the 70s? Yeah. And, uh, well, I think Civil the, the more interesting thing um, to have a, an arc of a story about Abraham Lincoln being, at the very beginning of his term, um, being a man who was uh, not just not respected, but pretty close to being despised. Like, a, like, what is this monkey doing in the White House? Right. Why am I even talking to him? Uh, but I have to because he wants me to be Secretary of State or he's the President and I have to deal with him. But what a, what a gangly, awkward, you know, animal am I... What is going on here? I, mean, I, I can't even respect the man, much less talk to him. And then it goes from that to... Uh, this was a great man, as, you know, as, after he has been killed and people realize the true value of him. That's an interesting art, you know. Yeah. They don't have that, though. He's already well, you know, well into it. So, What's interesting about the end of slavery and the, in, and the Emancipation Proclamation and, and Lincoln and all that is how he had to deceive people into thinking that he didn't plan on freeing all the slaves in order to free the slaves. And he had to do it. He had to wait for the exact right battle uh-huh. that would have the public on his side so that he could put forth this Emancipation Proclamation, free the slaves, and he wouldn't be um, overrun by a government, which you know he had difficulty all the way through. So he made, according to, to legend and lore, he made a deal with God where he said – if we win this battle, I will free. The, I will make good on my promise to free the slaves, and of course they do win it. And what are we talking about? The Battle of Antietam? Yeah. In in, in Maryland. Uh-huh. I'm pretty sure that's it. Yeah. That was one of the bloodiest. Uh, oh, that was yeah. terrible. That that battle. I right. mean, the, the thousands so of people lost. It was he awful. Put through the uh, Emancipation Bar, and a lot of people hold Lincoln to his earlier deceptions to throw people off the track, um, where he said right. that he if he could save the union by never freeing a single slave he would do it mm-hmm. um if he could f- save the union by freeing all slaves he would do it and mm-hmm. uh he, he didn't seem to have any sort of moral compass about slavery but in fact he did he just didn't show that to people and it was a shrewd move and it paid off and you know i'm wondering if the film isn't about that if it isn't about that sort of moment where he was where it was really iffy I'll tell you, Sasha, you've been in a book club and you've read Doris Kearns Goodwin's book. I haven't got to that part yet. It's like the longest book. It's like driving across the country reading this book. Okay. It's a very well-respected book, but I got to tell you what you just described to me, and uh, you're very concise. You can tear things down. It doesn't sound like real movie material. It sounds like book material. It sounds like I don't like, know if uh, that's what they're doing. I haven't read the last part, but you don't trust Tony Kushner to know what he's doing as a writer. I mean, I do. Uh, yes, I do trust that he will be very articulate in telling the story. That, but he's been given uh, a charge. He hasn't been told, Tony. We want you to bring out something in the life of this man, the last four years of his life, that moves us, that touches us, that melts us down. Uh, we, they didn't say that. We said, this is a book. We want you to adapt it. And, no, he, you know, no, the first thing was... That's exactly uh, what he said. No, he said... I mean, did you watch the Google Hangout with Steven Spielberg when he talked about it? He, they, they don't, he didn't say, I want to do this whole movie. He said, let's just do the last part. Well, uh, let me tell you something. This is straight from Liam Neeson's mouth to me in 2005. Oh. It was a movie that began with his inauguration and ended with his assassination. 
Yeah, that was so maybe they changed it. And, and then they started saying, we can't sit this too much here. We can't do it. Right, right. And then they pruned it down, and then it was going to be uh, in the last three years. Then it basically got down to Emancipation Proclamation to the end. So it's the last, I think it's the last, what, eight months, nine months, or six yeah. months, or something like that. The last few months of his administration is what we're seeing. Uh, because they wanted to do just whatever they're going to do. They wanted to do it well and do and, and fill it out and make it, you know, genuine and and uh, and and so apparently they went for the political intrigue and the and the as you as you described to me the uh, the machinations and the strategy that Abraham Lincoln brought to to making this a piece of legislation a historic piece, uh, however mostly a symbolic piece. I mean, the free slaves is is fine, but it, it by by no means uh, made everything right in the world. It was just a symbolic piece of paper that uh, you know was the start of it. Well, very- only because of the the subsequent. Um, the southern states' refusal to let go of slavery and the Jim Crow laws that followed. The Jim Crow right. laws really just damaged generations and generations of um, black, right. black Americans. And yeah. and that is something that we need to... I wish someone would make a movie about that, about how the right. uh, after the Reformation, they, um, the mm-hmm. Jim Crow laws really undid everything that, that had been done to mm-hmm. kind of give a, a fresh start to, to those freed slaves. It right. undid all that. And it started, right. started putting black people in jail so that they could be free labor and, you know, uh, still paying for that today, actually. And it wasn't even that. It was only 150 years ago that the that, that they, he freed the slaves. Think about that. That's not very long. 150 years only. So. Yeah, of course. It's a profound story. It's a moving story. It's some, there's all sorts of ways to come at it. You know what I'd like to see? I just had this idea as you were talking. <clears throat> uh, it's, it's, it's Abraham Lincoln's thoughts, his own thoughts, about putting it all together between his last... And, it, and, it, and it, what, it flies through his head in the last few minutes of consciousness before he gives up the ghost. He's lying on the bed. And it comes to him what has happened, and he kind of assesses it. And then you can kind of hopscotch through his administration. Uh, you can even hopscotch back to Illinois in the legislature, but you can hopscotch all around, and, and you start use the vantage point of a man dying on a bed. Hmm. And, and um, you know, that way you can touch upon all kinds of things. But, I, I, you know, listen, Steven Spielberg is a, uh, is a man who has come up through the ranks, and he has a, a certain linear way of, of, of thinking of, of, of what films are. He's not tremendously imaginative at this stage in his life. He's... he's He's, he has a certain a toolkit and a certain way of doing things. We all kind of know his signature. I don't think that we're going to be that knocked out by what this thing is. I, I, I mean, if I don't we, think go, you are. we go to the board, I think there's something to be probably concerned. Give, give us I think concern. you're right in terms of what you're looking for, yeah. And I think in terms of people like Richard Rushfield and, you know, um, all those guys on the web who pretty much control dialogue of film, which are what I consider to be 25 to 42-year-old male, white males, who are the loudest, most dominant voices on the web, kind of mm-hmm. control the, the film criticism now. No, it's not going to be a movie for them, for sure. It's not. And let's remember also, Sasha, look at the soundtrack. Remember when people were looking at the, at the motion picture soundtrack for John Williams' score? Look at the uh, second to last or last um, uh, track. There's a long, uh, huge piece of music, about 11 minutes long, which is very significant for motion picture music, that is titled uh, 
the, the now I can't remember it. Uh, it's the house where Lincoln was taken to. They carried him to this house after being shot at Ford's Theater. And the track goes on for it. It just shows you that they're going to milk his death big time, mm. you know, for the emotional thing. And that's Spielberg. He milks stuff. If he can milk it, he'll do it big, you know. So I just have this funny feeling. I, I have had it all along. I, I, don't, I don't think the man is... Uh, is is the filmmaker that we that some of us want him to be because he represents such such enormous success and so many millions of dollars billions of dollars and he's the kind of guy we want to have as our kind yeah. of the king of Hollywood and he's like the the mark of quality he is uh, he is a man who's uh, got really lucky and he has wonderful instincts that were that came to magnificent fruition in the uh, mid seventies to early to mid eighties. And then he started to, you know, become, uh, uh, reveal himself of what he really is, which is a gifted hack. And he's not going to, uh, he's not going to be thought of with great, uh, uh, the way Jean Renoir or David Lean or, 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 or Max Sokols or, or Ozu is thought of now. He's, he's just not one of those guys. He's a commercial guy who hits it and people think he's great, but he's not really. And history is not going to be kind to him. Well, history will be kind to him because he made, he made so much money. Because he made Jaws, dude. He made one of the best films ever made. History. Well, I, I'm not saying that mid seventies to mid eighties. That's a whole different thing. Well, I'm it doesn't matter. That's how history remembers you. History doesn't remember Frenzy um, and Marnie. History remembers Psycho and Rear Window and Vertigo and you know. I mean, and come on. Strangers on a train. Yeah. Strangers on a train. I mean, your your legacy is your legacy. Period. Right. I would like to see Spielberg. Um, he's left a legacy. The dude has left a legacy with Close Encounters, Jaws, um, uh, Schindler's List. The he's, second Indiana Jones film, which I am absolutely Or the first. About. And, you know, he's a great filmmaker yeah. back then. He was a great fucking mm-hmm. filmmaker. And right. I would like to see him pull one more out that wasn't, that didn't have to be apologized for, that didn't have that one part of mm-hmm. it that's weak, right. which is Munich had it. Uh, Warhorse had it, um, mm-hmm. you know, Minority Report, you name it. There's always one third of it that is kind of like, ugh. <laughs> so that, like the ending see. of War of the Worlds. Oh, War of the Worlds was really pretty good, and he destroyed it with one by having a happy ending with a kid alive at the end. Yeah, and he almost destroyed yeah. Schindler's List. He almost did. It just so happens that the rest of that movie is so good, it helps the, the, right. the ending, which is best. Saving Private Ryan has a great first 45 minutes. But it totally devolves into sap by the end. But it doesn't really matter because that first forty-five minutes is so good; it still lives on. The thing about him, though, is that uh, no, it's, it's the cheating in this uh, Save It Ryan, Private Ryan that, that is horrible. The uh, making it clear that we're going into the eyes of an old man, and then we see uh, the eyes of Tom Hanks on yeah. the on the you know that's a complete cheat. It's one of the biggest lies in the history of narrative cinema. He, he's clearly saying to us, "This is Tom Hanks," you know, right? And he's lying. You know, I mean, it's one thing to to deceive and 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 play a three card Monty and make us think, but you have to be able to look at it and say it was honestly put together. It was dishonestly put together. I thought it was uh, horrible what he did. Yeah, the problem with Steven Spielberg, as we said last year, is that he's got too many yes men around him. He doesn't have enough people telling him, wait a minute, that that might not be the best course of action. Um, But the other weird thing is that no matter what, um, Oscar people always put his movies right at the top. And and 
you know, it's not good for him and it's not good for the Oscar race. And it just, it, the whole thing is, it makes me feel gross and I, I can't help it, but I do it too. It's like, Oh yeah, Lincoln, it must be an Oscar movie, but you know, how nice if we could just look at it and go, wait a minute, you know, Spielberg's not really, uh, delivering those kind of movies anymore and maybe not put it at number one, you Uh know, (laughs) maybe, so I, I started the year thinking Les Mis was the number one sight unseen movie, and I still don't have confidence that Lincoln is going to win Best Picture. You know, I'm just hoping for a good movie. I'm not even hoping for Best Picture winner at this point. I'm just hoping for a great, great performance. I mean, I am, I am going to try. I'm going to make myself get over my hang up about about Daniel Day Lewis sounding like Matthew Modine being a, a Indiana wheat farmer. I just want to. Get past that and just at least get off on Daniel Day-Lewis. He's too good an actor, so let's... He's please, too good please, an actor. Please. Maybe once... Now that the voice is out there, you already know it's there. Maybe you can get used to it. Maybe it won't be like that all the way through, you know. Right, um, right. That's what I'm saying. I'll just get used to it. I'll get past it. Yeah, I mean, his voice kind of bothered me in There Will Be Blood because I was like, he's just imitating Walter... Uh, uh, is it Walter uh-huh. Houston or... John Houston. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. So, can you go in the other room, sweetie? Thank you. So it's it's distracting to me that in there will be blood. It was distracting, but I'm hoping that this. I mean, for me personally, it's it's sort of beyond the Oscar race, just because I am so admiring of the book and of Tony Kushner as a writer and of the subject matter and of Lincoln as a president. That I think for me, it's going to be a win-win, and you know, I'll be able to hopefully judge it as just my own personal thing versus whether I think it'll do well in the Oscar race, you know. I think it'll probably land somewhat like Warhorse did, you know. Respectful reviews, yeah. Best Picture nomination, right. um, Best Actor nomination, a lot of Crafts nominations, you know. Um, we'll just have to see. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about it, though. You know, I really am. I'd like to read the script. I really like to read the script right now. Just, I'd like to just see what it is, but um, I guess it's just not in the cards for that to happen. I've been trying to read it for quite a long time, and I just <clears throat> realized it's one of those major lockdowns, and it just yeah. <clears throat> there's no no getting past it. Uh, major lockdown, uh, and it, you know, but it's good that the news has gotten out that it's not going to be a big sweeping war epic like a lot of people thought it would be. You know, so now that, that news is out people are going to be expecting something different, which is better. You know, I wrote the parties that be, uh, the powers that be with, um, the, uh, uh, with the, uh, story about that Lou posted about the Lincoln screening in New Jersey. And I said, this is the point when he had taken it down. I had presumed at that point that his, uh, the reason he took it down was because, uh, he had been asked to please take it down. And uh, and that uh, a mis- you know, there was a mistake uh, on his part, uh, thinking that perhaps he could, he could get away with it or something, and and uh, and that nobody would uh, would would object that strenuously, and that some people, uh, perhaps as Disney, perhaps Jeff Hill, somebody strenuously objected. Well, that's not the case. He's he basically uh, uh, said that. Uh, uh, it was a software issue with the New York Post's uh, um, website, so uh, that's what happened, apparently. Interesting. Well, I got into it with him on Facebook, and he said he mulled it over for a couple of days trying to decide if he wanted to post it or not. And uh, mm-hmm. 
the reason he posted it, he said, was because he wanted to make the point that it was unusual that Spielberg was was audience testing a movie when he doesn't um, when he he never does that in the past. I don't believe that the people who went to see the movie were under any sort of embargo. Uh-huh. I don't know for sure, but I don't think they were. So I don't think it's actually anything he did that, that the studio could call and say, you have to take that down because yeah. there wasn't any kind of agreement. They must have known once they test screened it that someone was going to get that information out there. I just wouldn't want to be the website that did it. You know, I wouldn't want to be that uh, that site. Although when I think about it in terms of getting the, the information out there about mm-hmm. what kind of movie to expect – you know, it feels less like a hit job and more like, you know, mm-hmm. maybe something not entirely rejected from the studio, right? Anyway, I was surprised. I think it, it was, it, it seemed odd that I, I when I had uh, it and I was asking them, it seemed, uh, at least my view at the point was that it was fair since it was uh, available via um, Google Archives that I could uh, 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 review the, the points of the article and, and post it. Can we discuss it? Is what my thought was. I said I'd like to hear if you feel that there's something uh, genuinely remiss and not right about this. I'd like to hear it from you because it seems to me that he did post it. That it's fair to at least reviews to to review the high points of it and and summarize it. And uh, they did not even respond. Weird. And I said, uh, well, can we, you know, uh, I'm not, you know, you guys are really joining on, on the spot about this because I was being, you know, facetious because they didn't say anything. They didn't respond. They just figured, ah, the hell with it. You know, let's That's just, strange. You know. Yeah, they're not trying to do damage control. Nothing. Um, no. The only thing that really bugged me about his thing was that he said that Mary, Mrs. Lincoln, was miscast. That just bugged me because how the hell does he know? What does he know about it? Uh, you know, miscast. What does he mean by miscast? You know, he sounded to me like some guy who fancies himself a film critic who either is a blogger or wants to be a blogger or writes reviews on IMDb or whatever. You know, um, he just his comments were very typical of that. Well, sort of it, it, you know what it means. It means that he didn't like Sally Field. I know, he but felt use a different easy. word, please. And also, I hate the word issues. I hate it when pseudo film critics say, "I had an issue with this." It's sort of like saying, "I have an issue with a you know a, a disc in my back," or my, "I have an issue with my rectum." Can That's you funny. please have a look at it? It bugs me so much. Issue. It's like they're talking about a medical condition. You know, can you use a word, please? He says that. I had an issue with this. Well, that, that means that there's a there's a there's a lump uh, in in the uh, in the bump in the road. There's a you know, know there's a problem. There's something the that interferes with my yeah. Yeah, understanding yeah, it. Can they know? please use a different word? You would yeah. never be so lazy as to use that ever. I've used the word issues. It's it's come out. I don't think I've ever seen you do it. Honestly, <laughs> I can. I've heard it enough. It certainly is part of the it, it vocabulary. Like the uh, reason you know, I hate it, it is because they're trying to sound smart. You know, they're trying <laughs> to sound intellectual when they say it. It's so irritating. Just come right out and say what you mean. You know, you he, prob- say, you know he probably felt uh, Sasha that he was by he was saying that what I saw was Sally Field in 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 sort of you know old maid uh, clothing. Uh, and and I just couldn't see past the fact that it was Sally Field, and he wanted to okay, see. Okay, well that makes sense. If he says her star status upstaged the role, I get that. But miscast means, uh, you know, makes him seem as though he knows 
more about Mrs. Lincoln than anybody else, and he's he's wrong because if there's one thing that Spielberg did very specifically, mm-hmm. working with Tony Kushner and Doris Kearns Goodwin, by the way, mm-hmm. was make sure he got that shit right. Mm-hmm. Height, weight, hair, dress, everything was was meticulously combed through. Well, I I, I respectfully disagree. I think that uh, given the uh, chops that Marsha Gay Harden has at her disposal, uh, she would have been a far better uh, choice. Uh, oh well, uh, I don't know about that, but but perhaps, but but that doesn't matter. His quote about her being miscast is is only valid if you're a Lincoln scholar. I'm sorry, but he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know enough to say that. So well, he's not. He's not speaking as a Lincoln scholar. He's speaking as a guy sitting in a seat with a with a popcorn uh, container in his hand. And he just didn't like it. That's, I know he doesn't. Know that's all right cast. to say. No, it? it isn't. He could say I didn't identify with her, or she didn't work for me. I kept seeing Sally Field, but Miss Cast makes it sound like, you know, this is somebody we we see every day. Like Ann Coulter was Miss Cast because we know who Ann Coulter is. Who you know who who would play her? You know, it's, it's, he doesn't know anything about Mary Lincoln. I mean, Mrs. Okay. Lincoln. He doesn't know Maritime. if she mm-hmm. was. Uh, Right. You know, if how well of a portrayal this is, because there aren't there aren't there isn't any living film of her. So how would he know? Right. There's only pictures, and she looks fine. She looks like the the pictures yeah. we've seen. Right. So. Um, okay. But I guess when you see it, you know, you'll know better what he meant by that. But I wish he'd been a little more articulate. Right. I also wish that Lou had been a little more dogged and. In, in, questioning him further yeah it's like he just, exactly you right, know? right like yeah. i would want to know like we did with that guy with life of pi i would I'd just keep asking him questions keep probing him now here if i had talked to the guy i would have like had this whole i would have done a whole q a between myself and him but lou's working with the new york post and he's got a format he's got to deliver it all in first of all he's got to you know put out those paragraphs about how this can be fixed if, if there are issues and again take it with a grain of salt it's it, according to what pete says this thing is done, and they're just showing it, and that's it. You know, it's not you know, still being worked on. It's not a work in progress. But you bend over backwards, as Lou did in the in the piece, to say this is just one guy, and it could be fixed, and it's not the final thing. But I would have, I wouldn't have done all that. I would have said this this is important. This is the first person to say anything, and I'm going to get to the bottom of what he really thinks and what he really knows you, you and what he's actually you saying. So. Yeah, you absolutely would have, and you would have. Lou says that he knows this guy and has been interacting with him for a while now. It's not just a one-off. Okay. So it leads me to believe it wasn't the studio, um, right. you know, putting it out there. But Lou tweeted, by the way, he said, you know. Being a half Italian guy who grew up in, in Seagate or wherever he grew up, he says, you know, I, I, I have a problem with Jeffrey Wells referring to this guy as a Jersey Shore Guido. <laughs> and I, and I, said, well, I didn't say that. I said what I said was he could be the Andre Bazan of Newark. You know, he could be a brilliant guy who just hasn't, you know, come into the ranks of film criticism. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> or he could be a Jer- Jersey Shore Guido. You know, you don't know who it is. You don't know. Him. So that's all. Right. That's the thing is you don't know anything. But like I say, I don't think it damages the film particularly, but I agree with David Poland that it is sort of a new low for journalists. It's one thing for a blogger to do it. It's a whole other thing for somebody like Lou Luminick who works at a legitimate organization to do something like that. David Poland write that in his hotbox? No, on the Twitter. He was going after him on Twitter. He was going after him big time. And the thing is, is I agree with David Poland. I do think it's a new low. And I also think that um, only in so much as... 
Why is it a new low exactly? Because it's not legitimate. It's not legitimate film criticism. It's not even a person who will. It's just some one dumb guy's opinion. You know, there's no balanced report. No, yeah, there's yeah. No I mean, that's what we were saying. If he had rounded up with maybe two other people, or dug into his views, or enough. dug into his views more, asked him more yeah. specifics. How much do they show this? How much do they show that? What are the costumes like? What is the? You know, I mean, that's what I would want to know. Sure. If you I sure. had a guy who'd seen it, I would have asked a million questions. I wouldn't have just put out. My main criticism is it's boring, you know. We don't even know how old the guy is, you know. I would, I, you know, what I know that Spielberg would would hopefully get right, and that's as I've said before. I can't wait to uh, wade into the the real deal atmosphere of 1864 and 1865, and muddy streets and horses and carriages and the whole way that. Or uh, that that era, that that atmosphere will smell the way it will, that just the aroma of it will be uh, fascinating. If he invests in that, I hope it's not just that, and I hope it's not what Guido says, which is like you know uh, interior shots one after another of guys talking. I would like to really immerse myself in the in the way Washington D.C. looked and. You know, some real ambitious CG shots of, of what everything... Well, I know for a fact that it's not just four guys in a room talking because I've seen set photos. And I've seen okay. the, the... If you go and do a Google search for Lincoln set photos, you'll see a lot of them. Great. You know, on, Looking forward to that. Yeah. What? So, I mean, it's not just going to be that. Spielberg right. would never make a movie like that, but... Okay. Um, but it does, it does sort of indicate that they're more interested in how the whole thing went down, freeing right. the slaves, as opposed to... Showing the whole Civil War and all of Lincoln's life, you know. Yeah. Anyway. All right, so I wanted to ask you a couple of questions uh, off uh, off mic. Uh, so do you think we could wrap it up and uh, yeah, we'll let's wrap it up. Plenty to talk about, of course. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So next next week we'll talk. So next we're week. so we're saying in summation that the big things to look forward to are Les Misérables because of the somewhat novel use of, uh, of the way they recorded the music, and it won't be a typical musical in that sense. Uh, number two, uh, Flight, which is going to be better than we uh, expect, according to a uh, high high end, uh, unimpeachable, uh, uh, perceptive person who's not a publicist, mm-hmm. and. Um, and thirdly, um, uh, obviously Zero Dark Thirty and um, and and Life of Pi, which is going to be shown later this uh, this week at the New York Film Festival. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward. So. Okay, sounds good. All right, so, darling, I will talk to you later. Okay, and and stay on the line. I will. Okay. okay. You've been listening to episode 93 of Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Phil Contrino from BoxOffice.com, and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Oscar Podcast. And the bumper music was It's Hard to Be a Saint in the City off Tracks by Bruce Springsteen and Abraham Lincoln by Lead Belly. Thanks for listening. That Abraham Lincoln was not on that train When that train started on its trip that day Where was it? He was down in Alabama miles away In 1863, when John Wilkes the boot shot Abraham Lincoln The news went around the world from Washington They shared the news from Washington that Abraham Lincoln time had come John Wilkins the boo John Lincoln did with
Abraham Lincoln, before he went down, he told him this. You may bury me in the east, you may bury me in the west, but I'll hear that trumpet sound in the morning. Yes, in the morning. This evening, brothers and sisters, I come to you in a holiness manner to tell you just how he died. Yes, he died, he said. He was lying there in his blood on the ground, covering the ground. And while he was lying there, the sun rose and recognized him and closed itself in cyclones and went down. Yes, and the sun went down. And it went down in the morning. Yes, and while he was lying there, seven angels leaped over the battlements of glory and come down to get him. Ah, just when they got near him, he rose. Ah, he rose and walked back down among us. Praise God, he walked back down among his people. Oh, we got a new land. We got a new land. We got a new land. It ain't no riding boats down there with no whip. It ain't no backbiters down there. No liars can't go. And no cheaters can't go. It's no devil to chain us. And no hard chance to bring us back. Ain't we got a new land? Ain't we got a new land? Ain't we got a new land? He said, you may bear me in the east. You may bear me in the west. But I hear that trumpet sound in the morning. From Washington, that Abraham Lincoln, time had come. John Wilkins, the boot, John Lincoln, dead, with a pistol. 